Hello. Welcome to the Call It Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keys, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to discuss the ongoing fallout from the Federal Reserve's recently announced 75 basis point increase in its rate, and more generally, its repeated raising of, of its rate this year, which now has many people more worried about the Fed's heavy handedness in trying to deal with inflation than the actual inflation that's going on itself. And later on, we're going to discuss Joe Biden doubling down on the cancer moonshot initiative that he relaunched earlier this year and consider whether this kind of approach is something that can actually move the ball forward in a meaningful way on cancer prevention and treatment. Joining me today is our very own atomic dog, Tunde Ogonlana. Tunde, are you ready to lay out for the people? Why must I feel like that? Only if I can chase the cancer. (laughs) All right, all right. Now, we're recording this on September 25th, 2022. And this past week, we saw the Fed raise its rate and aggressive uh, 0.75 of 1%. And this raise itself was the third raise in the last three months. And the stock market really took a hit following this. And, you know, the hit is still ongoing. Now, the Fed has said that it's going to do what it takes to try to bring inflation down. And that includes doing things that it understands will raise unemployment or at least can raise unemployment, but likely will, and possibly send us into a recession. But many people are upset about this, thinking that the Fed is being too heavy handed and considering the fact that much of the inflation we're seeing may be supply side driven from things like the Russian invasion of Ukraine and residual effects from how countries have dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic. They think their con- they, their concern is that the Fed is going to send us into a recession, not necessarily. So, Tunde, what is your reaction to how the Fed keeps raising its rates and its stated belief that increasing unemployment and a potential recession may actually be necessary to address the inflation that we're seeing? Good question. I would say I'm, I'm unpopular in my answer in that I think this is healthy for the long term stability of kind of our overall economy. Uh, I think the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is doing the right thing in the way he's raising rates. Um, the reason is because uh, we seem to not like the idea of going to, through one, runaway inflation like we've heard about in countries, you know, whether it was 1930s Germany or more recently uh, nations like Zimbabwe or Venezuela. So, um, you know, the what I'm, I guess what. What intrigues me, let me put it that way, is that all this information has been openly discussed and the Fed has been very transparent for well over a year. Um, And we also see all the numbers, right? I mean, the most recent numbers that just came out on inflation were that it's running at around eight and a half percent in terms of over last year. Um, That followed, I think, eight point. Well, I think it was eight point three the last month and the month before was eight point five. So bottom line is, you know, the Federal Reserve has to do something, right? Um, someone's got to get this under control. And um, we also are coming off the heels of almost a generation of abnormally low rates. So, you know, people think about the great financial crisis, but really the low rate environment of this era began in 2003 when Alan Greenspan at the time, who was the Fed chair, uh, lowered the Fed funds rate to 1%, the first time it had been that low since the 1950s. And 
then five years later, after the 08 crash, um, it got fed, the Fed rate got lowered to zero. So it's been 19 years of this environment, and you know rates are normalizing, and it's painful uh, while we're adjusting to it. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's interesting. You said the Fed has to do something because I don't know. You know, I think without the benefit of hindsight, we won't know any of these things whether it's the right move. But the Fed, in the recent past, at least. Um, when it comes to fighting things like inflation, and I'd go back like 50 years, maybe it seems like the Fed is oftentimes undershot, undershot in its efforts to fulfill its mandate. Now, remember, the Fed mandate, it's a dual mandate, maximum employment, stable prices and moderate long term interest rates. And so I think that the Fed is using the tools that it has or you know, that, that it has at its, its, its disposal as far as monetary policy goes um, to try to address inflation. And that is it's interesting that it's trying to do that, because as you point out, we're accustomed to right now a very low interest rate environment. And so because we're accustomed to that, it's been so long, more almost two decades, just raising the rates to places where, historically speaking, it would not it may even be considered low where we're raising them to now is something there's a real shock to everyone's system and saying, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, I'll discuss the, the the kind of downstream effects that people are complaining about separately, but just the fact that they're raising rates and they're bringing them up right now, and again, they're, they're not to a place historically that would be considered high, to me seems a lot like we were, we're, if you fly in an airplane, you understand that there's going to be some turbulence from time to time. You, you, you can't go in with the expectation that it's going to be smooth sailing all the time. And so this, to me, sounds like there seems like that, where right now, we're accustomed, we've been accustomed to, it's been very smooth. You know, it's been very, very smooth from an interest rate, not, not economy as a whole, but just from an interest rate standpoint. And so we've been, we're used to that. And in fact, because it hasn't been, that rates haven't been going up and down, or they haven't been doing a lot to, to put interest rates on people, higher rates on people. Right now, there seems like the reaction to the raising of the rates because of what we're used to may be more extreme. And again, I'll discuss, you know, I'm, I'm going to kick it back to you, but I, and I'll discuss whether I think they're doing, the, whether as far as they have to do something, whether the, what the answer to that is in the circumstances of what may be way or may or may not be driving inflation separately. But I do think there's an overreaction. We're too used to the smooth sailing from an interest rate standpoint. We're hitting a little turbulence, which is we know when we get on an airplane is possibility and a likelihood if we fly off, if we spend enough hours in the air. And so now it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, we haven't had, we haven't dealt with this in so long. And so I think there's definitely an overreaction to this, which I think would lend more support to what you're saying that, hey, they're doing what they have to do. You know, we can't stay in this this low rate environment forever. Yeah, I think I think, look. Just like it's a great analogy of a plane, right? We all kind of understand anyone that's flown in a plane commercially understands that there's going to be some turbulence and that's to be expected. Now, turbulence doesn't mean that the plane falls out of the sky and everyone dies. So I think we understand there's a certain limitation of where one might be comfortable or not comfortable in terms of how much turbulence is in the plane. Also, the plane analogy is good. Uh, sorry, audience, uh, if not everyone's an aviation expert, but most people understand that planes, like a regular commercial jetliner, can't go to space, right? Like there's a certain ceiling. If the plane goes too high, it actually stalls out and begins to fall to the earth and could crash if 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 you don't have a good pilot to figure out how to how to get out of the stall. So we could take the same analogy to the economy and say that if the economy went too red hot and inflation went too high, I mean, the economy literally could stall in a way that we wouldn't like. Yeah. And that's why when we when we talk about countries like Venezuela, 
or the Germany where Mark Republic of the thirties or Zimbabwe in the, in the nineties, no one seems to want to mirror those kind of outcomes. Right. So that's why I say that. And I, and I want to be careful when I say this too, because this is very painful. I recognize for a lot of people because they're exposed to the stock market right now and they're watching their money go down. So I'm yeah. not trying to be flipping and saying, oh, you know, this is normal and everyone should shut up. What I am saying though, is that these cycles and these patterns is a good analogy you use of the turbulence because the last time we had some real turbulence like this that we can remember is the great financial crisis of 14, 15 years ago. But people seem to forget, you know, the S&P 500, we're recording this on Saturday, the 25th of, of September and, or sorry, Sunday, and uh, Friday's <laughs> market close, the S&P was down 23% since it's high on January 2nd, 2022. People seem to forget that the S&P was down 24% in the fourth quarter alone in 2018, not that long ago. And it's because the 10-year bond in a very short period of time went all the way up to 3.2% at the time from like 1% uh, in a short period of time in a matter of months. And that just caused a knee-jerk reaction of the market selling off. But that was the same downturn that we have now in terms of percentage-wise but it only it happened in three months, and that was scary. The, the difference is back then, they, you know, the Federal Reserve Chairman said, "Oh, we're going to print more money," and they had more stimulus, and the market liked it, and the market rebounded within, you know, the stock market was rebounded within six months. By the end of the first quarter of of, of twenty nineteen, the market was back to where it had been at the start of the fourth quarter of eighteen. This time looks different because this time the Fed and Jerome Powell have said they're not going to come save us with more money. And 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 printing more money and stimulus. So this is the real deal where we'll have to deal with um, a tightening of the money supply, which is what raising interest rates is. They want to slow down all this overheating. And you know we've heard a lot of people complain about things like housing prices getting too high too fast, um, the uh, inability to afford for young people to afford a lot of things, cars and homes. So what hopefully will happen in the long run with this interest rate rise is that it will um, bring all of, it, it will stop that velocity of money through the system in terms of the increased rate of growth and will bring asset prices back down a bit so that they can then grow again yeah. know, without, without stalling everybody out. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. The question is, you know, relative to 2008 or 2010 or 2018, whether the prices are reasonably valued now or maybe they're overvalued. And so if that if yeah, they're overvalued, I mean, then, you know, like there's some pain involved in trying to get them back to be properly valued. Um and I, I'll say this, it's interesting like that yeah, I, I like the the airplane analogy as well because it's like I feel like a passenger, you know, like where I'm just like, okay, well, I hope the pilot knows what he's doing. <laughs> oh, we all do. Yeah, because yeah. there's nothing I can do sitting here, you know, in in three C. Like, all right, well, you know, hopefully it's all good. And I'll say this, you know, you you brought up the the the, the example, you know, 2018, 2019 time period. We also to, to Joe Biden's credit or to his detriment. Well, again, with hindsight, we won't know till hindsight. He doesn't appear to be pressuring the Fed in ways we've seen in the past to try to to try to deliver more immediate results, you know. And so we're let we're letting the the central bank do what it's supposed to do right now or what it believes it's supposed to do. And so we'll see how it plays out. They can get it wrong. They've got it wrong in the past. We hope that they're getting it right that their prescription here as far as what they think needs to be done. And I think with the, to your to your point, I think they are taking a longer view here. 
and not simply just trying to win the next three months or the next six months or only accounting for what's happened in the last year or something like that. They do seem to be taking a longer arc view of, okay, well, here has been the trend over a decade. Here's been the trend over two decades. What do we need to do to try to balance this thing out? Again, that doesn't go to say whether they look at all this came with the right prescription. That's just going to yeah. say, I, I do appreciate the fact that it does seem like they're taking a bit a longer view here and really trying to, 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 to push things in a direction that they think are long, that will produce long-term benefits for us. Because a lot of times, so many decisions we, th- we see that are made from an economic standpoint in particular are really short-term driven. And that's not the best way necessarily for banking to operate. You know, like that's been part of the problem we've had in our economy. We've seen in the financial services sector is is been the merging of traditional banking, lending, and stuff like that with investment banking, and which was illegal for a time. And then it was that that bar was was broken. Um, I believe under the, the towards the end of the Clinton administration, and um, because of that, you know, the, the investment banking is inherently about taking more risks and and being more, uh, you know, like you could just be a little faster and looser, but you can make more money. Whereas that traditional lending and stuff like that is much supposed to be much more risk averse. And, you know, like, but you're, there's only so much you can make. And so the taking a longer view to try to rebalance things overall, I think can be helpful and not a, hey, let's play fast and loose. Let's deliver results in six months and so forth. Because that I think has led to a lot of our booms and busts that we experienced in our country over the years. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just, this is why to me, the history of all this is very important. You know, why do we even have a federal reserve and a central bank? I mean, cause it's interesting. I said, I said, well, before earlier, you get into that, let me yeah. ask you this, because I think you can get into that through this. Like, do you think we have, and, and we're going to talk about monetary policy, you know, just briefly real quick, which is the federal reserve's domain. Do you think we have a warped perception, you know, either because of the last 18 years or, or just, you know, because of the last six months and human beings, you know, memories are unreliable in terms of how they remember that things unfolded. Is our, um, is our, just our sense of monetary policy warped? Yeah. I mean, I'd say, first of all, most people don't, uh, really know or understand what monetary policy is um, as opposed to fiscal policy. So, I mean, I think that's that's a good question um, because I, I said something earlier in the show. I said the Fed has to do something um, and I need to maybe stop and correct myself. The Fed, like no one has to do anything, right? The Fed could do nothing right now and let inflation go absolutely bonkers out of control and we'll be paying $30 for a loaf of bread in a year. So the point is, is that they're doing something for a reason. And so well, I to, think to, the question of whether they have to do something is if they determine, for example, that 100 percent of the inflation was being driven by Russia invading Ukraine. And obviously that's not it's not 100 percent of anything. But if they determine that, that, then maybe the answer would be a fiscal policy, one of tax, one of trade, something like that. And not necessarily maybe the Fed wouldn't shouldn't be involved in. I'm not saying that's the case, but that's just what I mean on should they do something first? They have to determine, hey. Is, are the causes of this something that we can address or at minimum are the tools we have the right tools to address the causes type of thing but but your point is well taken though but go ahead well that's the kind of point about the the discussion of fiscal and monetary policy because fiscal is really the the role of congress that's legislation yeah. that's that's basically collecting revenues mostly through taxation and then deciding where the money spent for the country and that's obviously the role of congress who controls the budget um, and they vote on laws, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's the role of our government. In on the budgets, country. laws, yeah. tax fiscal, rates, all that stuff. Yeah. Correct. Fiscal policy. Monetary policy is, is the realm of the Fed because they control not only interest rates, but dealing with the banking system. And, and the Federal Reserve system was and created- And the supply of money. 
Yeah, and 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 the Federal Reserve system was created in 1913 for that specific reason because prior to that period we had probably one to two banking crisis every decade uh in this country. And the reason is exactly like you said, the supply of money. Um you know, you had banks maybe in San Francisco and there will be some sort of event there, let's say maybe a natural disaster, maybe maybe just a bad economy and there's a run on the bank. There's actually the supply of money in the West Coast of the United States might have dried up. And all of a sudden you have a totally, you have basically a depression in one part of this country. And there, there's no ability to, to have money flow in a certain way throughout the system. Yeah. And the banks there would collapse. And just like what happened with Lehman Brothers in 08, then the other institutions that they may have had deals with in terms of loans out, um, whether depending which direction, they begin to default. And next thing you know, it's a wave that hits the country and the system has to reset, but it's very painful. Yeah. So the role of the Federal Reserve was to try and smooth all that out, all that activity, that banking activity. And it's interesting because- Let me add real quick, yeah. just to, for, for people who aren't familiar with it, the way they control interest rates, so to speak, it's control, quote unquote, because they set bank- B- borrowing bank to bank interest rates, which then filters out in other ways. And if I said that incorrectly, I mean, or if I didn't say that in a way that it was clear, you know, please correct me, but it's bank to bank borrowing, particularly if you're borrowing money from them, um, you know, that allows, like you just said, if, if there's a problem on the West Coast, you go to the central bank and they will allow you to smooth out your problem. And it doesn't cause this cascade effect where everybody who you're in business with starts to, to, to have a problem. And then everybody who they're in business with starts a problem all emanating out of one source there. Correct. And and look, that's what the Federal Reserve got it wrong in 1929 after the big crash of the market and the beginnings of the depression. You know, the depression wasn't necessarily caused by the crash of the market. A lot of people, I mean, that's the event that a lot of people believe, you know, from history class have been taught that triggered it. Really what caused the actual deepness of the depression was the Federal Reserve um, not doing what they did after 08, which was not um, um, uh, doing exactly what you did lowering the interest rate to the point and i don't think uh, in fairness to them it was only you know 15 years old maybe you know not even 20 years old the fed so i don't know if well, the, they, the whole keynesian approach didn't even really get kind yeah. of written about until after yeah the i think it took you know, the depression for, for everybody you know, to realize that yeah, yeah to learn how, how this system needs to kind of be set up going forward and, and yeah. so the long story short you know without getting too far into it you're right <laughs> uh for the audience that there's the Fed funds rate is the interest rate that the Federal Reserve sets for banks, uh, their ability to borrow from the Fed when they need to. And yeah. so an example was 08, where, you know, the Federal Reserve, to their credit, had begun to raise interest rates slightly to try and cool down the, the housing market at that time, you know, the 2002 or two, to 2006 period. Um, and what happened is after the great financial crisis really took hold by late 08, remember the TARP legislation, that 800 billions, that first time we heard numbers like that ever. Um, <laughs> what that really was, was the Fed lowered the rates to zero so that banks could borrow from the Federal Reserve at a 0% interest rate. So they could stay afloat. Correct. Not only stay afloat, but then they could lend money out to us. Yeah. So we could stay afloat at a very low rate because again, the banks are in business to make money and they make it through a spread. So they'll borrow at zero from the Fed and they might lend us a mortgage at 3%. Yeah. And then they make that spread. That's that's how they make money. So fast forward to today, what's happening now is we've had uh, 14 years, literally, of this zero kind of rate environment. It started creeping up a bit up through 2020. But then again, the pandemic 
forced us to have to go back to zero yeah exactly because we had the cares act printing all that money and we again the whole economy was closed in march of 2020 so the the system needed needed liquidity like like oil on gears for a machine and that liquidity in our in money system is money right and so and low rates low rates and that's what i was going to say is is the low rates is what allows again the term velocity of money to to increase the money to go through the system yeah so all that happened is you know money was cheap and there was a lot of free money i mean let's be honest right it's not just people on welfare everybody and not everybody but a lot of people who had means took advantage of the ppp and edel loans um and in all honesty yours truly here right the government gave you money, money man free and, money and, and then they forgave it yeah. i'm not writing them a check but they back. told you up front they would forgive it so yeah, it was like exactly. it was literally the so, kind of free money thing but and i mean but but that's my point is saying so all of us it was that kind of it was the real uh thing that we all have feared right if you throw a lot of money at the system it's inflationary yeah and so now that what they've done is this last week the fed raised the fed funds rate by 0.75 percent which gets the federal funds rate in total now at between three and three and a quarter percent so we've gone from zero about a year ago to three percent on the fed funds rate which has caused things like mortgages now like i said if banks now have to borrow and pay the Fed three percent, they're gonna they're gonna have to um, increase things like mortgage rates. So mortgage rates have more than doubled. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, well, that's yeah across the board. All type of of borrowing from banks has gone up because, as you point out, they build on top of whatever the Fed rate is to then so that they earn their spread. And yeah. yeah, I mean, so all that to say, I think you laid out the case to why right now prisoners of the moment. But even if you take a decade long view or, you know, 15 year long view, we have a warped sense of what's normal. I learned today, well, you know, past couple of days that a neutral rate is considered around two and a half, you know? And so, cause I'm like, you know, like where, where, where should we be or where, because we've seen like in the eighties, the rates were much higher, you know, for example. And, you know, right now we've gone past what's considered a quote unquote, and that's, this is like economists, you know, the type yeah. of stuff, but what's considered a, a neutral rate of around two and a half. And I'm sure that's not an exact type of figure, but it's just around that to one that is more restrictive. Um, but again, we're trying to not get, we're not trying to balance things from, or to put things to the place where it's neutral, so to speak. They're actually trying to slow down economic activity. And so because of that, you know, they've gone higher, they've gone... I think the speed at which they've gone has it may be the shocking thing more than anything, though, because it, it the going up three quarters of a percentage point and then going doing that again or, you know, hitting that it, instead of I was I was reading something. It was like 0.75 percent is the new 0.25 percent. Yeah. Like, you know, they're not incrementally taking it up in ways that and what that allows basically is the system to kind of adjust more slowly because the shock to the system right now. And if there is some kind of overshot, that may be what we end up pointing to in five years, pointing back and say, yeah, yeah, they went too fast. But what the Fed is, the determination they've made, and this is why I use the analogy of an airplane and we're just sitting in, you know, seat 3C, hoping that the pilot knows what they're doing. The Fed has determined, based on their analysis, that this speed of change is necessary to counteract what we're dealing with. Because and this is why I don't think it's helpful to to try to say, oh, well, it's 100% Russia or it's 100%, uh, you know, just what whatever. It, it COVID, you know, factories shut down in Shanghai or something like that. Because we do know that there were trillions of dollars that were printed and put onto the streets in the last few years d- due to COVID. And so, and that kind of thing would be inflationary, particularly how it was just give it was just distributed, given to, to everybody and so forth. So, yeah. 
There are a lot of factors the Fed is trying to deal with. They're trying to see through the fog of war and figure out what's going on. So I'm not blaming them necessarily, but I'm also not taking the assumption that they're right. Like, I don't think we're, there are people that are saying they're going too fast, but they're, they're going the right direction, but they're going too fast. There are people that are saying that they're doing too, that they're, they shouldn't even be going this direction further than a neutral or whatever. But, and then there are people saying that they're doing the right thing. Nobody really knows though, be, okay. until we have the benefit of hindsight, because these things all are so interconnected that how things play out in our e economy, particularly with, and the next topic we were going to talk about is how the Fed is only one hand. There are two hands that are supposed to be doing this stuff. And that you, you alluded to that with the fiscal policy and the monetary policy. The Fed is only one hand here. And as we've complained about many a times on recent shows and shows a long time ago, the other hand being operated by Congress isn't working right now. Like con Congress just is doing so little in terms of trying to create an economic environment that creates sustainable uh, a sustainable model that the Fed is almost left to wing it on its own with these things. And yeah, the man. Fed only has two tools. Well, so <laughs> if you're in Congress, you got to worry about getting reelected. They got to fundraise, man. They don't have time to work. Come on. Well, yeah. So so my question, I mean, well, that, that, it's not that they don't have time, but it seems like they don't even have the inclination, though, you know, like because yeah, you got to go fundraise so you can win the next election. You know, you can't you can't sit there worrying about fiscal policy. CRT, man. Yeah. Forget fiscal policy. It's CRT yeah, yeah. time. But <laughs> so do you think the, the Fed is wielding its tools? I mean, and obviously this is the fog of war. But do you think they're wielding their tools effectively? And. You know, like, do you think even the tools that they have, you know, and then comparing it to what Congress can do and so forth, are they, you know, like, how big of a concern is it that they're trying to do this on their own, basically? Because to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so no, there is the concern there that, oh, well, since those are the only two tools they have, they may bang them really hard and because they just can't do anything else. No, I think we're lucky this for this one that um, it's probably better to have Congress out of the way. <laughs> I mean, this is this is one of those that you know the Fed Congress is, as are, it presently is constituted. At yes, least. Um, <laughs> so because the Fed can is the only one really that can control interest rates, and and I think like the True. right now, right now, I'm sure that um, one can argue that fiscal policy definitely matters, and big long term decisions would have an effect on things like infl inflation and all that, and and I think you know. And I'll speak to that in a second here on the politics of it. But I think just to straight up answer this, in, in meaning in the moment right now. You think these are not, the right tools to be yeah, used? Yeah, yeah. Right meaning, yeah. and that's what I mean, in the moment right now. I'm not talking about over a 10-year period, the, yeah. the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the ideas that are legislated and all. Of course, they can affect um, things like inflation. I mean, we just talked about the CARES Act was legislation. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, created five to seven trillion dollars of just new money that came out of nowhere. And that has an effect. Um, and... Uh, and, you know, there's other things, you know, I had a, someone I was meeting with last week and they were all railing against all this stuff that's going on now in politics and saying how it's all causing, you know, the, the Inflation Reduction Act is causing all the inflation. And, <laughs> you know, again, I'm not here to protect anybody and I'm not here to protect uh, President Biden or President Trump or Obama or, or President Bush or anybody, right? No, you're here because, to call it like you see it. Yeah, because the thing is, is that Yes, do presidents and the decisions that are made under their watch uh, have an effect? Yes, but usually those effects are very long term. So what I explained to this person was, I got no idea. And like you said, hindsight will tell us whatever the Inflation Reduction Act does in general, because I said, number one, if it was just passed into law like a month ago, like literally signed by a pen, that means the first checks of it haven't even been written yet. Yeah. Um, and I said, the second thing, when you hear these numbers like $600 billion uh, bill, 
That's over 10 years. That's the, uh, the general accounting office always does it over a 10 year period, what yeah. that number is. So really we're talking $60 billion a year. This is what I explained to the guy. I said, you're talking about a $60 billion a year infusion into a budget that the last fiscal, um, the, the 2021 fiscal budget was $6.2 trillion. I mean, the amount of money that we're spending is ridiculous. So I don't know where the current legislation will end up affecting things like inflation and all that down the road. But, you know, we're dealing with things that presidents from five to 10 years, what we're dealing with now are things that were implemented most likely for the most part under Obama and Trump under that kind of five to yeah. 10 years ago era. And the things that Biden's doing today will play out after he's out, you know, after 24, 24 or 2026, that, that time frame. So, so that's one thing I want to say to the audience, because Everything has become so polarized politically in our discourse that for the first time in my 21 year career, the last two years or so, I'm just seeing it from my clients. Like people I've had, I've met with people in recent weeks that tell me that they're not going to do anything until after the midterm elections. Because as if that's believe, gonna, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like if one and I keep trying to explain to people the stock market doesn't care about politics, it cares about interest rates and earnings, period. Right. And I, I try and tell people, but of course, you can't talk too much to people about this stuff, right? You know, politics is emotional. This this fiscal and, and, and financial stuff should not be. Yeah. And so you shouldn't be making your investment decisions based on if you like the person in charge or not. And that's really what I'm saying is I've never seen this like this before, because I know a lot of people had strong feelings about both Obama and Trump, Right. But I never had clients back then really telling me to do something based on who was in power, what move. And it's just the first time in the last two years that tells me. Well, but it tells you the messaging. You know, yeah, that, that's that what I was ecosystems. But I want to say, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because this is actually a similar direction I was going to go because and we've touched on this, like with elections and so forth, the politics of it. And they, they, they do play a role. But as you pointed out, I think very correctly. The role they play in politics, whether it be the Congress or it be uh, the the executive branch, oftentimes plays out over a longer period of time. Like even if Congress raises tax rates or changes tax rates or whatever, uh, you know, or, or they, the only thing they can do really that creates an instant boost is they start cutting checks right away. Like, hey, let's go build a highway. We're going to start writing a check. That's going to help you know those companies right away and, and boost a segment of the economy. Space race or something like that. Like you can nearly boost up and that'll happen more quickly. But in general, they're tiny, kind of structural moves that they make take a while to kind of filter through the system. Yeah. But there's but the nature of our politics promotes short-term thinking. And so it almost is this disconnect where people in politics are always are only really interested in things that are going to not I shouldn't say only they're biased towards because of the nature of the system, things that do short term have short term effects, but their biggest the biggest thing they can do are things that have long-term effects. And so, yeah, like you're, you're end up in a situation like right now we're overly reliant on the fed and its tools because they do seem to be the adult in the room and they do seem to have convictions and belief on how things seem to work. The other thing, the problem that we see with our politicians a lot of times is that there aren't a lot of coherent convictions that people have. People are in favor of debt spending if it's their party in charge, and then they're they're against it if their other party's in charge or so forth. And that we see that play out on the right a little bit more because they're they 
complain about the deficit spending when it's not them in charge more. But even still, like there is a lot of double standards and what aboutism that goes on in, 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 in politics because they're always running. They're always campaigning. And so I know you had something else to say on this. So but go ahead. Yeah, no, because I was going to say, if you look at history, you can see that, again, this type of environment has happened before. So if you look at the period of 1966 to 1982, um, the Dow Jones basically ended up right back where it was 16 years later. So yeah. um, it's net, interesting. There was no net growth. It Correct. was up and yeah. down and up and down. I mean, yeah, you might have got some dividend growth, but yeah, really. Did. So that in January of 1966, the Dow hit the index was at 983 points and in october of 82 it closed at 991 points like literally for 16 years it was just a choppy sideways market now as i was reading it i thought it's still a good argument to stay invested long term because 40 years later the dow just closed on friday over twenty nine thousand. so that's still a huge <laughs> multiple if you just left your money in there but but i mean if for that, somebody that retired in 1982 though you yeah, know, as you you were telling me offline, like you know where you are in your personal yeah, investment cycle matters a lot for these types of things because yeah, if you're 50 years old right now, then this is something that's like ah, uh, yeah, 20 years. Fine. I mean, yeah, yeah. But, but if you're, but if you're 80 course, right now or 75, yeah. it's like oh no, the house yeah. is on fire literally. It's, it's painful, and so what happens is in these periods, things just change because there's still economic activity. I mean, that's what I thought of even thinking preparing for the show. You and I were born during that period of time between 1966 and 82, right? Like a lot of people alive today were alive back then. It's not like the world ended. It's not like no one had a job and there was no commerce going on. You just didn't have this cheap, easy money. And so where I'll finish and I'll pass it back is from a political standpoint, getting back to that. Think about this. In 1966, the Fed funds rate was 4.6%. Guess what it was in 1981? Oh man, I I I know it was very high teens, yeah. right? You know, or no twenty twenty. Wow, it hit twenty percent because we had inflation from the oil embargo, right? In interesting, high energy prices in the seventies, right? Of course, yeah. you had the embargo, which is what is a supply chain disruption. Then you had the kind of what they called the malaise of the seventies. You know, you had the post Vietnam War economy. So we had just spent a bunch of money fighting a war for whatever to you know 11 12 years and uh, and then you had the same thing you had the come this this culture wars right by the 70s what did you just have you you had RFK and MLK were just killed and 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 you had the end of the Vietnam war feminism so you had all the same culture war stuff you have today and you know you had a similar environment of rising rates yeah. So, well and as you pointed out uh to me offline you know that you didn't see Reagan beating up his fed chair at that point yeah you know because it was like it this was just this is how the economic system has to work there's these yeah. different factors there's different people with different roles and everything doesn't is it boiled down to partisan politics and i think we have this is we, where we have to keep in mind of how our current political environment really does us a disservice because at its core polarization is about avoiding accountability because you're tapping into tribalism you're just saying hey support me regardless of what I'm doing, just because these other people are so bad. And so that actually leads you, if you're in Congress right now, and your goal is to run on how bad, and if you're in the House of Representatives, you have to run every two years. So you're almost always in campaign mode. And your goal is actually to do not that much, at least if you're at the pure cynical level. Now, we've seen things pass. We've seen like, so we've seen this isn't happening across the board. And I'm not meaning to draw any kind of uh, equivalency across the political spectrum or anything. But well, I am calling out what we see in terms of 
There's an incentive to just say, hey, do nothing. All we want to do is run on the idea that these other people are bad or they're this or they're that. And so what we end up having is Congress just not working to do anything that will help us over the long term. Like if Congress was doing more instead of just the one place where we see stuff a lot of times is emergencies, emergency, emergency, emergency. But if that's the only time you act, then you never get ahead of and prepare for the next emergency. So I think that's where we got to really as voters, it's it's on us, you know, it's on, it's on us to select better politicians. But the thing is, and I, I find this to be fairly ironic, is that the well, maybe, you know, maybe not even ironic is maybe just concerning is that. Congress is the branch of government that's supposed to be most deliberative. You have so many people. It's the large sample size, so to speak. But each of your each member of Congress, who when they go and, and get elected, they are least accountable in terms of relative to the a, a president or relative even to state houses because there's less people there. Be, the, the reason being, though, they're only one vote out of 435 or out of 100 and so forth. So if things don't happen, you don't they don't really catch blame themselves. And so we get this situation where people elect people to go to Congress. And it's not even like they're judging them on what happens in Congress after that. It's just like, oh, is this my guy or is this not my guy? So structurally, you know, like we we lean into this partisanship, this teams, you know, I'm just going to to, to do everything team wise. And it ends up not serving us. And in times like this, Ideally, we have not just the Fed doing this stuff, but we have Congress also taking honest looks, taking fair looks, good faith looks to try to address these issues moving forward as well. Because, again, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So the Fed is going to have a tendency to overuse its tools when it does decide to use them. I don't, we don't know if that's the case right now, but that tendency is going to be there. you know. And so if we, if we don't, can't diversify our arsenal, use all of the arrows in our quiver, we, we run a risk of the Fed overdoing it and any of these. And again, we won't know. I mean, they're doing something. I'm not going to fault them for doing something because it seems thought out, but we don't know. And they always are at risk of overdoing it because the other hand that's supposed to be working here isn't doing anything. Yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's, there's no way to really, like you said, until, and until we, um, we get through this and can have the benefit of hindsight to really find out, you know, what 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 moves were made at a given time, were they good or bad? I think that just the the acuteness of this issue right now, Cong there's not much for Congress to do now. I think part of this is maybe this is us dealing with also Congress not having done too I mean. much the last decade. You That's know? what I mean. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like we're unprepared, and until there's an emergency, they don't seem inclined to do something. So there's not a lot of foresight in terms of what's what well, we're going I think to do. The danger we have is that, you know, because like you said, that the Congress has figured something out, which is by doing nothing, they can, you know, the people that are currently there can stay in power by pointing fingers and all that. It goes back to that 1981. I mean, think about it. I'm pretty sure Ronald Reagan wasn't that happy that he just got uh, inaugurated in, Jan in January of, two of 1981. And by the end of that year, the Fed funds rates at 20%. Yeah. You know, that that doesn't feel too good, I'm sure, for a new president. But like you said, he wasn't sitting there bashing the Fed chair. You didn't have, you know, all these Americans being told that, it, you know, Ronald Reagan just didn't know what he was doing with, with economics and all that. That, that, that. There was a time when most people understood that the politicians are politicians and they do that stuff. And then the whole economic and banking stuff is over here. And that's those guys. You know what I mean? And and that they're they're really separate 
from for from, good reason. Yeah, for <laughs> it's good, good reason. Yeah. And because imagine and if why, our banks were jammed up right now, like uh, like Congress is. But go ahead. Well, and 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 but it's also you know it's the bigger picture of our system, and I think we don't appreciate it as Americans, right? Meaning, the Fed chair has a has a has a tenure similar to like the FBI director. It's supposed to overlap politics. Yeah. You know, like the FBI director has a 10 year term. I think the Fed chair is something like six to eight years and they're picked and they're picked not in years. A lot of times of a presidential election to make sure that they stagger maybe, uh, you know, several different presidents. Yeah. And that whole idea is kind of like we talked about with the British monarchy, the idea of, you know, the, the governing of the people and the politics, because that's emotional, is separate from certain things that need to just be on cruise control in a certain way like the justice system that shouldn't be politicized um which is again going back to the fbi stuff and all that but i know that's not the, the topic of this show and then in this case things like your central bank that those people because that's what it looks like in a third world country what we would call banana republics right where the the leader of the country the dictator or the president gets their hands all up in the central bank and basically starts using it as their personal piggy bank that that's something or and yeah and using it also to punish enemies and using it like it yeah, yeah. or industry like hey you're going to go along with what i want to do or else i'm going to you know do this to your industry or whatever like so it it becomes a, another means to wield power correct and so that's one of the things that has allowed the world to feel safe in investing in things like us treasuries and all that that yeah some president is going to come along and say you know what? This group of people that bought treasuries, we're just not going to pay them back because I don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, yeah, but this yeah. group over here, I'll pay them back. So and that's, now, that's but I do want to wrap this up. But, you know, yeah. and, and I think to your point on this in terms of keeping it like our system does allow for ultimate accountability to them because they are they again, they have a term and it does end at a certain point, but it doesn't allow that immediate feedback of okay well it, it doesn't it's that it doesn't work like that so to speak where there's immediate feedback most of the time it this i guess this was abused a little bit with the director at fbi a couple of years ago but it doesn't uh, allow for it doesn't it doesn't it frowns upon oh you don't like what i, I don't like what you did biden saying i don't like what you did here uh powell you're out <laughs> it's like yeah. this is, that would chill powell from doing what he thinks is best if yeah. Powell being the fed chair and so that separation that's how you is get long. into runaway inflation exactly right? And but yeah. that 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 separation there, where there is some level of accountability, those people aren't unchecked completely, but they also are allowed to operate as experts in their field, as you pointed out, allows us to build on people's expertise and not be reactive to the emotional uh, whims of politics. So I do want to get out. I know you had one quick quick thing to say. Uh, before yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying that that a lot of people. It's painful right now. I want to say, but but this is again as as bad as it sounds. What I'm going to say. This is the normal course of things. When you have a rising interest rate environment, you have falling asset prices, and the reason, like I mentioned earlier, you know, a year ago the average thirty year mortgage was like three point three percent, and now it's six point seven percent. So you're just looking at the cost to borrow money has doubled. And that's just like we've talked about on houses, but there's car loans, there's credit cards, there's this, that. So we should all be prepared that this is going to continue for, you know, the short term, you know, the for the near term future. But just like after the 70s, that's what I said, like you and I were born in the late 70s. Somehow we survived, you know, our parents survived and still put food on the table. Like that's that's what I try and tell some of my clients sometimes without because I'm a big fan of transparency information, but I tell a lot of people sometimes, turn it off, you know, turn off the, the financial news, turn off that noise, because all it's going to do is drive you nuts short term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this well, is going to suck. Yeah, and we got to get through it. 
But that goes to other things we've talked about where you're watching it. That means that they need to keep your attention. And how they keep your attention is by telling you that the sky is falling. But we all have a personal responsibility then to just, you know, figure out how we're going to exist for the next. Because this is going to take another year to two years for the system to cycle through. At minimum. And, and, And again, a reminder, right? 20 years ago when the NASDAQ was overheated. It took two years from 2000 to 2002 for it to lose 70% of of its value and bottom. That was painful, but we all survived. But the thing is also, though, I mean, and that because you don't want to you don't want to be callous about this. You're saying that you're well to do. Your clients are well to do. There are a lot of people on the lower end of the the income spectrum in the financial world that this stuff hits them much harder. Like this does become decisions between bread or milk. And yeah. so ultimately, and that's again where we need Congress to come in and be able to to, to do things to help us. Those aren't necessarily emergencies that you norm that you see, like COVID pandemic or so forth. But there needs to be big picture thinking and people that can address all of the issues that come up. Because yes, most people or people that I shouldn't say most people, people that are uh, of a certain uh, just financial capability will make it through, but then, but that's not all of our society. And so either things need to be done in a way to allow more people to, to get in to the area where they don't need help or help needs to be provided because yeah, it's going to be rocky. And, you know, we don't know if like, again, we're, it is, we're in the airplane, we're all no, passengers and we is, hope that, you know, they, they get us here, but let me, but let me, the, let, let's, well, let's, but let me just say this. The good thing is that with falling asset prices, those people, you know, gasoline prices are falling, housing prices are falling. So that's why in the end it does adjust itself out. Well, and that's, yeah, it's trying to get the inflation under control, which yeah. the inflation is all that stuff going up. So it's yeah, trying exactly. to keep it trying to, not, cause they would equally be like it, it, your, your employment prospects are hurt by what the, the, um, the Fed is doing. But if the Fed does nothing or, you know, and nothing is, if something is required, then a loaf of bread, it's like you said, costs 20, $20. And then that, that's going to hurt you also. So there's pain either way. Ideally, this is a way to try to create the least amount of pain and the most sustainable system. But the second topic we wanted to discuss today, uh, cancer moonshot, which was initially introduced 2016, uh, you know, something that Obama tapped Biden to do when he was vice president. It was the year after his, his son died. Uh, and Biden, you know, kind of re reinvigorated it this past year. Uh, earlier this year, they, they talked about um, you know re- relaunching it and so forth. And he just did a speech on it. And it's it's about trying to have cancer deaths. It's about trying to really put all of our resources or put it put focus and intensity in terms of our effort into really addressing cancer and, and, and other chronic diseases where, where it fits. What's your thoughts on this? Um, you know, what do you think? Um, you know, this is something that is worthwhile to I me. Mean, hey, we just talked about how economically, you know, like it's 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 very concerning, you know, like the sky is falling to, to, in some respects. Um, you know, is this a good time for this? Is this something that's a good goal? You know, what, what are your thoughts on on the cancer moonshot? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to um, be mad at the attempt to try and, you know, rid the world of cancer. So I, yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything negative to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Never a bad time for that. Yeah, right. I, I, lost, <laughs> I lost my mom to bone cancer. So, you know, yeah. there's a personal touch there and and i'm not the only one you know i mean i know millions of people die every year of cancer and and you know <laughs> let's see this this should be the, one of the few things that should be bipartisan let's see how how far it goes and then you know let's see how how the people like alex joneses of the world you know disturb you know a percentage of this country that there's a huge conspiracy and Oh, well, you know that we're gonna have five G nanobots and the, Bro, and the cancer vaccine. Bro, that cure cancer, and yeah. they're, that's gonna be all oh, the cure for cancer <laughs> is uh, yeah, a nanobot that turns your body into an alien. Like, yeah, it, so, of course that's coming. So I mean, I mean that's why to me decisions or not make decisions based on what those folks will do. No, I know, but that's why to me it's you know there's not too much um, 
that I would scrutinize. I mean, obviously, we got to see what they're going to do, right? But I think it's like when Kennedy announced going to the moon in 1961. It's just like, okay, it's a big, bold idea. And, and when Kennedy announced that, you know, they didn't know exactly what rockets were going to be on the launch pad and, you know, all that stuff, right? It was it was an ambition. It was a goal. And, hey, by the end of that decade, Neil Armstrong's putting his foot on uh, the moon's surface. Um yeah, uh, if you believe that, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I'll take but, this. Um, but that's well, what I'm saying. So I think it's an ambitious. Just to finish my thought, it's an ambitious goal, just like getting on the moon was. But it's it's that's what I mean. Sometimes I think you know we need that as a nation, right? Let's have a goal. Let's go get it. Now it it's not as sexy and as fun as going to the moon because you can't really see cancer and it's blah blah blah, right? But um, but it may be more impactful for people's correct. lives. And in fact, it certainly Definitely. would be more impactful for people's lives. I'm actually, I'm big. I'm a big fan of of taking big swings, you know, like this. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that you have to have big goals in order to achieve, achieve things. You know, like you, if, if you set, you know, very small goals, then, you know, like you, ju- you don't even get into the realm of, of making big moves. And so I was, I'm very, you know, excited about this. You know, the initiative, I'll quote here, the initiative a- aims to dramatically reduce national death rate from cancer, as well as improve the experience of survivors and family members uh, of those living with the disease. And so to me, now, the, the concern I have with this, by the way, and actually you've brought this up in, in recent shows several times, is when Michelle Obama a few years back wanted to try to, to, to cut sugar consumption and promote healthier eating and eating plants, you know, and, st- and less processed food and stuff, there was a big pushback. And it was made partisan and it was made, it got nasty and stuff like that. And so one thing I'll distinguish here is that Going to the moon probably is easier to get people on board with because there's not an industry or several industries that make money on not going to the moon, you know. But in this case, unhealthy lifestyle sustains and is very profitable for our food industry. There, there's argument to, to whether the drug industry uh, likes to, to go more in towards things that that keep you alive but don't necessarily cure you of things, and where their, their incentive structures are are set up to really help us solve these problems versus just kind of, you know, manage them. So he does, if he's going at this and going at this from an honest and, and him, you know, science and so forth, if they're going in from an honest standpoint, there's a lot of industry that can get involved and kind of kind of change this and make it something different and make it something that may not be as helpful. So I'm very concerned about that. But I think it's very exciting, particularly on the heels of what we saw with COVID-19, where there was a concerted effort to develop a vaccine and something that, and then they were able to develop something that worked reasonably well, very quickly. So we've seen science set a very ambitious goal and hit it in a way that was meaningful very quickly, very recently. And so like, I think this isn't like we're coming out of, you know, like we, we just did, this isn't Henry Ford on the assembly line. And now we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're about to have, you know, intercontinental, inter- intercontinental ballistic missiles. Like, it's like, we've seen, technology and science be able to to deliver something similar to this. But again, the concern with cancer is that some of it may be lifestyle. And if that's the case, then I don't know if we will be able to get everybody pulling in the same direction. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, look, I just think I, I, let's hope that the partisanship doesn't happen, but it will. Um, I'm, I'm not I mean, partisanship, yes, but I'm even saying industry, like where industry yeah. will create partisanship because no, that's they're like, what I'm oh, saying oh, is, well, if you're is, telling people, to, what if they say, 
eating less processed foods will make it so you don't get cancer <laughs> or eating, don't stop eating processed foods. There'll be a bunch of companies that be like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. They'll jump in front no, of I that. Think, I think, um, look, I think you're right. And I think that's something, you know, hopefully Americans will be able to see through that. I doubt it because you're right. It'll come. <laughs> no, and I'm not saying that to bash my fellow Americans. What I'm saying is it's going to cut. No, be I well was done. laughing at your hope. <laughs> yeah, it'll, be, it'll be it'll be a well-orchestrated propaganda campaign. And it will be emotional. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, and they'll be, you know, lobbying and, and, and lining, you know, people running for Congress uh, and, and and those who want to stay in power. Because remember, they're not going to be doing their fiscal policy legislative work. They're going to be out there fundraising from these exactly. big old, exactly. big old uh, food processing companies. So, you know, I'm glad that we see now we're back to economics. That's the whole nature of our system. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, <laughs> the revolving door of Congress and lobby um, and, and multinational corporations. So, um, but I do think back to the, the serious topic here, you know, hopefully, because I'm thinking of the space race again. And, you know, yeah, it's great that we got somebody to the moon. It's great that we got all that stuff going. And on top of that, I'm not going to say, but I'm going to say, and along with that, I think, look at how many good things came out of that decade of the 60s and all that money spent in R&D on space uh, exploration and all that. Yep. All these offshoots for the for the kind of private sector, the commercial sector. You know, I was I you know, I remember learning as a kid something like Velcro yep. was created in the 60s to keep the astronauts stuck onto something because of the, you know, um, you know, stuck to the wall when they <laughs> when it was yep. weightlessness. Yep. Remember the drink Tang that we had as kids? You know, all this stuff I remember by the 80s when we were kids was all kind of. Well, and those are, that, that's a, yeah, but there's a lot of things that, from a technological standpoint, additional economic activity that's what that I'm was saying. created from products that their their root came from, you know, the space race and, and so forth. And so, yeah, that, that's a, that's a boost to the economy. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm saying is I think that would be a positive from this, from a healthcare's perspective. Imagine over a decade of trying to cure cancer, the amount of things that, other positive offshoots yeah. that you know could come to us just as consumers and just to help us in our daily lives. So, um, you know, I think that's why, to your point, right, taking an ambitious move and a swing like this, um, you know, I don't, I don't see the downside of it. It's, this is the point of government, really. Like, yes, it's great that they they build the roads and we have fire departments and police cars. Like, yes, I agree. That's that stuff is very important. That's that day to day stuff, you know, that we get you know, water treatment or, you know, things like that. But these bigger swings are really what us pooling, our government is us pooling our resources, pooling our intellect, pooling our intellect, excuse me. And these bigger swings are the things that really drive forward humanity. And so to me, it can't all be about the day-to-day -day stuff. There have to be some bigger swings that we have in the works at all times, really, because these are the things that we don't know yet how this can help us. And I think you made a good, that was a great point to make as far as the all the things that they didn't anticipate, they didn't set out to do, but all this, it, all these additional businesses, all these additional things that came from the space race, the same kind of thing here, like all the different additional type of medicines or, yeah. or things to do. Remember, remember health, the shoes, uh, ruse, those kangaroo shoes with the Velcro. Yeah, yeah. without a space race, I wouldn't have had those. Enough. Never would have had great. Yeah, those were awesome. Yeah. They had a little pouch <laughs> on the side of the shoe. Remember? <laughs> yes, so yeah, yeah. Like, like a kangaroo, exactly. So, but I think we can wrap from there, man. It's, <laughs> but it, it's it's definitely encouraging. That because a lot of times you think you worry people get caught up in too pet too much petty politics that this kind of stuff doesn't even come to mind, you know, because it's like, oh, well, what good is this going to do us on the campaign trail 
you know, like, and it's like it, tomorrow. If this doesn't help me tomorrow, then what's the point of doing it? And so it's good to see. Well, uh, worry, you know, there'll encourage- be a new. There'll be a new nanobot. Uh- conspiracy there's always a nanobot yeah (laughs) it's interesting yeah let's see what other conspiracies come up with this anti-cancer but um unfortunately unfortunately and then like i said there is an industry like there was no it wasn't like there were a bunch of automobile manufacturers saying oh crap if they go to space nobody's gonna buy cars anymore because (laughs) i guarantee you if that was the case then they would have been really pushing against the space race so that's really the concern i think is that it's going to be if this is going to if people see this as potentially cutting into their bottom line it's going to start. There, there's going to be a, a, mo, a motive there to try to peel people away, and we know it's not. If you want to pull people away, if you want to divide people, there are certain. There's you start tapping into that emotion, start tapping into that polarization, and you can do it pretty easily. So, but I think we can wrap from here, man. Uh, you know, it was, it's 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 an interesting move though, and it gets another one of those things though that we won't really know without the benefit of hindsight. But you know, we can talk about it as we see it. So we appreciate maybe, it. Right maybe President Biden can recruit. Uh, former presidents Obama and Trump to be like the spokesman. And that way, like, it would be the ultimate conspiracy or they could at least keep everyone calm. <laughs> One or the other, it'll be. You know. Yeah, man, you're, you're still living in the 90s, man. When when <laughs> former presidents would would show, be, would put them, their own egos aside and, and stand side shoulder to shoulder. So, but no, we can wrap from there, man. I, I We appreciate everyone for joining us on this episode of Call It Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review it, share it with your friends. And until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Lamana. All right, we'll talk to you next time.